0: Setting the Foundation featuring Marsha Stone. Marsha Stone is the CEO and founder of Foundation Stone and joins us to talk about setting the foundation for crucial components for treatment programs addressing substance use, mental health, and families. Learn about the transition into evidence-based treatment, substance use in relation to the workplace, the importance of a robust aftercare plan, and how to get an alumni group going. Our guest for this episode of Talking Addiction Recovery Podcast is Marcia Stone, who is the CEO and founder of Foundation Stone, a network of boutique, focused programs for individuals and their families struggling with mental health, substance use disorder, and co-occurring disorders across the US. As someone who knows firsthand what overcoming addiction is like, Marcia integrates her own experiences into providing the most effective and quality rehabilitative programming to those struggling with various disorders. Since 2011, Marsha has served as one of the few female CEOs in the recovery industry. Marsha is an expert on addiction recovery, intervention, family therapy, behavioral health, wellness, and ethics in treatment center management. She is highly recognized as a recovery speaker and respected leader in the addiction recovery field and holds a JD and is a licensed chemical dependency counselor in Texas.
1: This is Talking Addiction and Recovery, the podcast talking, you guessed it, all about addiction and recovery. Join your host, licensed professional counselor, Andrew J. Schreier, as he and his guests break down recovery topics with raw honesty, delving into niche conversations around the topics of substance abuse, mental health, and gambling. We intend to meet individuals where they are on their own personal journey of recovery with dignity, respect, and compassion. We'll do more than talk addiction and recovery. We'll explore it. We're glad you've joined us. Here with today's episode, your host, Andrew Schreier.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Marcia Stone. Thanks for joining.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and um, meet you and uh, learn about your listeners and hopefully tell some interesting stories for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think this, so I had a, a an idea for like an icebreaker to kind of get this conversation going. So I kind of oh. want, I want you to like, imagine we're we're at like a conference maybe, or we're, we're attending some kind of networking event, maybe like a fundraiser. And all of a sudden, like myself or like an audience listener gets the opportunity to meet you and, and asks, you know, hey, what, what do you do? Like, how would you respond to that?
2: I don't know if you saw on like social media or whatever, but the other day, Katy Perry was in a concert in Las Vegas and she brought... Kim Kardashian and Kanye's daughter North up on the stage and she asked North what do you want to be when you grow up and North 9 years old said everything so <laughs> and honestly when you said that like what do you do that was the first thing that popped in my mind because I do everything <laughs> and I, what I mean by that is definitely I mean you know the treatment industry Definitely, I love recovery. I love to talk about recovery. I love to teach about recovery. I love to meet other people who are in recovery. And I'm a mom. I have five kids. My son's graduating from college tomorrow. I've been a mother for 32 years. I have four dogs. I mean, I am a person, and recovery has really allowed me to be able to say this. I live a really big, rich, full life. And 100% of that comes from this decision a long time ago to surrender. So I do a little bit of everything, and I really like it that way.
0: How did your journey into this this field, this this industry, and and all that where where do you identify that starting point? Like where this really began?
2: Yeah. Well, interestingly, it 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 sort of sprung from. What I thought was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. And to to make it a short story, um, I I was an attorney for about 10 years before I got into this industry, and I was struggling with alcoholism the entire time, basically. And from 2002 to 2008, I was in and out of treatment, in and out of detoxes, trying really hard to stay sober and um, not able to pull that off. And so in 2008, when I finally went to a long-term gender specific treatment that kind of did the trick for me, when that happened, the Bar Associations of North Carolina and Georgia, I was licensed in both states, came together and basically took my license and it was for a five-year term. And it felt very punitive to me and it felt very scary because I didn't think I knew how to do anything else. Um, and I'd gone to law school, like basically as a single mom, it was something that I had really worked hard for and took a lot of pride and security in. And when that was removed as a profession, I just didn't really know what I was going to do, but I kind of had a get well job coming out of treatment. And I ended up getting a phone call from this man named Mark Houston, who had a program here in Austin called Mark Houston Recovery. And he called me up and said, you know, it was a men's program. He said, I want to start a women's program that mirrors my my men's program. And I want you to start it with me. And I was like 18 months sober at the time. And I was like, Mark, I'm not a drug counselor. Like I'm a disbarred alcoholic attorney, you know? And he was like, that's true, but you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of your recovery. And you spent the better part of the last decade in treatment I think I can, you know, fill in the rest of the blanks, And so that's kind of the way it started. And I did end up working with him. He ended up passing away suddenly. um, He had an aortic heart aneurysm, passed away suddenly. And I went back to school and became a licensed chemical dependency counselor in Texas. And then um, through, you know, a bunch of strange series of events, I believe like, you know, sort of God shots. um, I was able to buy that company and expand that company into what became BRC Healthcare. And um, I actually sold 80% of that company about three years ago. And now I'm doing more like freelance mental health programs and just, you know, consulting. And I just started a new platform called Foundation Stone, which is going to be sort of a a, a subset of sort of boutique programs that have specific areas and specific niche um Uh, treatment goals. So I got into the industry, because I didn't think I was going to be able to do anything else besides practice law. And I had five years on my hands. So, you know, here we go. But it was about 60 days in that I fell in love with doing this. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing anything else. It's just, it's one of those things like it's such, if you're supposed to be doing it, it sets your heart on fire and that's the way i feel and i don't really feel like i work i really feel like i'm in constant collaboration with people who are dedicated to helping other people
0: you brought up a very interesting topic that i don't think gets discussed enough is sort of like the workplace you talk about like the a lawyer with with a license you know those are things that that sort of happen quietly i know like as a as a as a counselor you know, I've had clients who I remember right now. I had a pilot who lost his license because of drinking. Um, had to come see me for counseling, and we had to do this whole thing. I've known doctors who have lost their licenses. Um, nurses is another area. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so much going on with with substance use, and then there's also like the workplace. Right. And and how is that even balanced out? Because You look at like licensing boards, you look at like organizations and that that's like a tricky thing to maneuver.
2: Mm -hmm. It is tricky. And, you know, this was 15 years ago and I mean, maybe it was my perception. I don't think it was, but, you know, I think a lot has happened in the last 15 years in terms of people understanding alcoholism and understanding addiction, because at the time, um, it felt very punitive. And in fact, you know, it, in fact, it was, I mean, interestingly, the place where I went to treatment, there were some other lawyers that were there, doctors and such, and they had had similar things happen as I'd had in my life, but their license was suspended for six months or 12 months. And so, you know, when I look back on that, at first I was angry and I was bitter. But you know, when I look back on that, I believe that God, the universe, higher power, whatever you know, you want to call this sort of flow of energy in our life, I really feel strongly like part of the reason that that happened was because I needed to be really out of options um, to use that license and really sort of you know pointed toward this you know this helping path. Um, because two things, number one, for me, at least I put so much stock in that license and in that career that it was almost like a stumbling block for me to really get to the place of surrender that was required to really change my life from the inside out. You know what I mean? Like it felt almost like a shield that had become sort of an enabler. Um, and, yeah,
0: yeah. I look at a, like a shield and and defensiveness. You know, some things with that protect us from things that we're, you know, afraid of, scared of, worried of. But it also protects the the other things that can be good for us mm-hmm. to come into. Like when you're that guarded, you can't right. say, "Well, stay away, fear, and right. come on in, love." It's like that. If, if that guard is up, it's going to be guarding everything up like that's that's how close off it can be mm-hmm. um and then also it's that's- true.
2: and that impacts all of your relationships like not just your career um people that I've known for a long time have said things to me like Marcia recovery has really softened you and I don't I don't disagree with that but I think it's all it's also what I no longer depend on to sort of create this man-made sense of security. Because I think it all comes from, you know, if we really want to get, you know, from a psychiatric or even a clinical lens, if you have a life where you kind of have the messaging or at least the messaging that you hear is, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, if it's going to be done, then you can't depend on a partner or a husband or a parent. Like you've got to figure it out and do it yourself. So, you know, all that was was part of my whole personality and that guardedness. And also, like we were saying, really, really puts you in a place where you're very isolated. And that is sort of a breeding ground for alcoholism and addiction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that that concept, too, of like softer, it's like when you hold the shield, you think there's like strength in holding the shield, but really like letting go of it and being vulnerable like that takes a lot of strength to then take all that that in you're no longer so like to me i see a lot more of like strength and resilience that comes out of it versus like well now now someone's softer like there's more vulnerability but that also creates opportunities for for resiliency to develop and, and strengths to to show so
2: yeah yeah i agree with that and you know I do, I guess a fair amount of talking to people like I'm talking to you and in and podcasts and, and speaking engagements and stuff like that. And I've had a lot of people say things to me like, how can you just get up there and talk about, you know, leaving your children for two days because you were, you know, on a bender or whatever it is. And I say, because, you know, I've come to the place of full and honest reconciliation with, you know my past and with, you know, the the powerlessness that I was experiencing and the behaviors that go along with that. And these days, every bit of, you know, strength and resolve for me comes from this place of, I have no secrets. I have nothing to hide. You know, I, I did a talk at the, at the state Capitol here in Texas and in on the front steps in Austin and the news was there and everything else. And I was talking about being an alcoholic and I was talking about, you know, um, regrets that I had, um, things that happened, And I've had several people, I guess, like see it on YouTube or something. And and it's still, it flabbergasts people that you would do that. But, you know, my point is your point, which is this is strength, right? This is me stepping into the truth. And this is me owning, you know, all of me, good, bad, ugly. Um, and also, I've had a lot of women come to me and men too, but a lot of women come to me and say, you helped release me of the shame and guilt that I felt because I was a bad mom when I was drinking. You know what I mean? So to me, that's really, that's like the bonus round. If you're able to help people with their own struggles, with their own guilt and, and, you know, regret and and remorse and things like that because um, of my willingness to talk about it.
0: I think that's another area of the, the experience that mothers often have and sort of the additional added on stigmas, judgments um, sure. is is just another area of, of just where people don't, it just shines a light on where people don't fully understand like substance use, mental health, all those, those types of things. And that's where, and that's where you got into first with that. Is that the program then the women's program where you started getting more into the actual, like, now I'm getting into this from like the treatment side and all that.
2: Yeah. When I first started working for Mark, it wasn't like a licensed treatment center. It was more like they called it back then a 12 step immersion program. After I bought the company, we became licensed and, you know, did more clinical and and medical work on property, but at the time, really, it was just, you know, sort of bare bones, you know, tell it like it is recovery, you know what I mean, and uh, (laughs) I think we all kind of, I mean, I shouldn't say this as a generalization, I had to go through that stage of my own recovery, where I felt very militant about it, and looking back like that comes from a place of fear because I don't want to lose this recovery that I have. I want to be able to hold on to it. And so, you know, I kind of had this mindset like, if you don't do it like I do it, you know, you're gonna get drunk, you're gonna die, and all that stuff. And and listen, I mean, there may be grains of truth to that, but but again, I mean, that was just kind of where I was at the time. But we had, it was a small program. And so I got to know these women. I got to know their families. I got to know their kids. And it was a long-term program too. And so I really developed relationships with, with them. And, you know, there were many, many communities over the years, but it really fed my soul. It fed, it fed my need to have a purpose, to be able to sort of give them my testimony and then kind of lock onto what, they thought the hope that they saw in me and to be able to go on and do it themselves. And, and I did a, I did an open house at our new program last week and I described it as like, once you taste that honey, once you, once you check in a young woman whose husband thinks that he's going to have to raise their kids cause she can't get well, and he's so angry and the kids are so broken. And then, you know, you work with that family six months, nine months, and they send you pictures of, you know, celebrating Mother's Day or Christmas. And you know what I mean? Like, like, that's the honey. And and once I really experienced that and just felt like I was 100% living in my purpose. There's, there's nothing, I've just never experienced anything better in terms of feel good.
0: What, what drove you to wanting to take that to the next like step or, or transition into like treatment with then looking at like assessing and like evidence-based like what was it that had that drive for you to want to take it to that level
2: well really I mean two things one I discovered in recovery that I'm a natural born entrepreneur I never really knew that about myself before because I was just you know I mean my, my thinking was so limited to like get a degree get a license make money take care of your kids and it was very like that um, but in recovery, it's kind of like, oh, everything's possible now. And so I loved working at the program. I believed 100% of what we were doing. But because we weren't licensed, we couldn't take insurance. And so I didn't like it. Like it, it made me sad and, and made me, I don't know, like really worry about the people that really needed our program, but they couldn't afford to come for cash pay. Um, and and that was when Obama took office and everybody kind of got the message that as Americans we deserve to have health insurance. So um it, it just the the whole sort of model started to change and I wanted to stay relevant. I wanted the company to be able to you know more people to avail themselves to this to this model and that was really the main reason I did it. Um, and I really I mean honestly, I did not, I didn't expect it to grow as much as it did, as fast as it did, Um, but I had an incredible team around me. We had some, you know, great alumni. We had some great marketing opportunities. I ended up getting connected with, like, the Dr. Phil show and the intervention show and some of those, and so, I don't know, it was just kind of like, you know, what is is it they call it, like lightning in a bottle or something like that. It just kind of took off. And when that happened, one of the main reasons that I built a second and a third program is because again, just like the need that was coming in, the calls that we were getting, we did a young adult male program. We did like a trauma focused medical detox program. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I, I love to learn. I love to grow. I love to challenge myself. I love to help people and to be able to always say like i build to the need i try to create programs that are an answer to a question or a problem that i feel like the universe is kind of showing us
0: i i love that because i think that's something where professionals needing to adapt and change continue to grow and and learn and and not stay in the same place where we were before like right For me, I've been now I'm on to year 19 of doing counseling and therapy like mm-hmm. to think of like how things were when I first started right to, to where I am now my my biggest thing is I wish I could take what I know now and, yeah and go back and apply it to settings I worked in and, and clients that I that Gosh. I had where I was like, man, if I knew this back then, you know, maybe this could have been a little different, but I think that's important for treatment providers to be able to do that and, and can't stuck, like stay stuck in too much rigid. Like this is the only way this is, it, it's going to be. So I, I'm really glad to hear that. And One thing I, I want to touch up with you on is the, the aftercare, mm-hmm. because I've worked in, I've worked in group home, halfway house, residential treatment. And I know early on when they left was usually a very exciting time because someone like completed a program or they uh, there, they might've been like, they graduated from it, but also it's a very scary time when people leave treatment. Uh, it, it's, it's got this like pull of this is great. And like, here's the next, next steps for you, but it's also, we don't know what's going to happen or sometimes we find out some some things have happened that are very unfortunate and you 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 talk about the importance of like having a robust like aftercare Mm -hmm. plan so can we talk about that because I think a lot of Mm -hmm. places are talking more about it but I, I still think there's some pieces missing to how do we do this more effectively
2: yeah Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you. You know, there's studies out that say, you know, if someone's going to relapse after treatment, that the percentages are, you know, higher in the first 90 days and in the next 90 days and it kind of goes on and titrates down from there. But so basically what was happening is I was running the program after Mark Houston passed away and we had a male program, a, a men's program and a women's program totally separate and apart. And at that time, there were only, you know, two or three sort of companies that were doing sober living in Austin, but I was really, I came together with the team and we decided that, you know, we're going to start making recommendations that people stay in this area and at least go to sober living, like commit to 90 days after treatment. Because basically, all that was driven from all the studies that say, the longer that you can spend in some type of treatment environment, the better your chances are of, you know, long term recovery. So we were like sending our clients have this amazing experience or come out of treatment, they're on fire, they're going to help others, you know, all this stuff. And then we would send them to different treatment center, I mean, sorry, uh, sober livings around Austin and they would lose touch with each other. They were in sober living with people that had gone to some other treatment center and they heard something different than what they heard. And it was just kind of confusing and, and kind of chaotic. And we couldn't you know, keep up with people because we were trying to have um, an alumni meeting once a week on property, that was the goal. So after, I, I don't know, I can't remember now, honestly like six to nine months of kind of being frustrated about that. Um, At the time, we had what I call an angel investor. And um, I went to him and and talked to him about, I really want, I had this idea that I wanted to buy a small apartment complex for men and one for women. If you think of like the old like Melrose place where they all live in the little apartments and there's like a pool in the middle, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had this idea that if we could do that, then it would create like a community that they were already familiar with because they'd gone to treatment with them and it just sort of they matriculate, you know, along the same lines. Um and he liked that idea and and we did it. And this was, you know, a long time ago, property so expensive in Austin now my God, I don't even know how I could start to do the things that we did back then. But we bought a small complex for men and a small complex for women. And I'm happy to say that they're still in existence and working today. just as we planned and it went really well. We ended up adding sort of a house in the middle. If it was someone that was really young or was, you know, we predicted might have a little bit of trouble assimilating, um, like a high accountability, sober living and then to the apartments. But Regardless, the whole point, like I said, was to create community, to create accountability. And then we came up with this program called Segway, like the transition Segway, not the scooter. and we had what we called um, recovery coaches and not like the weird kind that you hear that are like, you know, taking people out of an A meeting to put them in treatment. Not like that, like real recovery coaches where they're helping these kids and, and, and adults really begin to um, actualize what we would call their continuing care plan that they would all leave with. So we just kind of created this 360 degree accountability and we did it where people could really afford it. At that time, I think to live in the apartments was a thousand dollars a month and and the recovery coach was about the same amount. So like for $2,000, um, people would get community, they would get um, accountability, they would get supervision, they would get coaching. And most importantly, honestly, Andrew, the thing that I think helped the most is is a common component of alcoholism and addiction that I've always heard people say and that I can identify with as well is a long-term feeling of, you know, being separate from. Kind of that feeling like your first day of kindergarten or middle school and you walk in and there's kids over there talking and you feel like they've been best friends since they were five years old and they don't want you to join them. You know what I mean? Like that type of, of... really like self-absorption is what I would call it now, but it's painful, right? And so we're giving these people maybe the first experience they've ever had of having a tribe, having a place where they belong, feeling like they're important to that community. And um, when we did that, our like outcome rates just skyrocketed because of all the things all the things that i just you know, said, time, attention.
0: Um, yeah. And you also mentioned alumni group, which I know a lot of people, It's it's one of those things that comes up here and there, like someone randomly kind of brings up like, Hey, have you, do you have an alumni group or do you try to do this? And it kind of like other things become more of a priority. And then all of a sudden like time will go by and someone else will bring that up again. So I know like some people want to do like alumni groups, but I know it's not, it's not easy. Like it, it's yeah. it's a challenge. Do you do you know anything that really helps with that sort of thing? To, yeah. To I get mean, a group like that started.
2: Yes. We started the alumni program um at BRC after I'd only been there like a year or two. And it was so important because it it's it's almost like it provided an opportunity to sort of like touchstone you know, like what was an important place to you or what was an important person to you? So we would have every Wednesday night um, at the facility, we would have alumni come out um, that were living in the sober living and participate, participate in a weekly alumni group with current residents, right? So they can help the residents and the residents can look at them and be like, oh, they're doing it. I think I can do this too. And one of the things I was the most proud of during the whole time I was, um, I was running BRC was, we would have an annual alumni reunion and it would be like a full day of like, you know, uh, bouncy houses and face paintings and, you know, I mean, everybody gets free t-shirts. We had like our alumni award ceremony. I would, I would do this whole like, you know, 45 minutes sort of thing about that. We call it the state of the union, everything that's happened at BRC in the last year. And the last one that we had, and this was 2019, right before COVID, yeah, we have like 600 people flying from all over the country. And it's almost like they, it, it would be analogous to like going to your college reunion. And they're so excited to be there. And I mean, I cried every year when we had that, just because I was like so grateful And it really is like a living representation that the work that we're doing matters, and it's helping. They come back with their kids. You know what I mean? I call them these BRc babies. Excuse me, running around. And uh, it it was just like a real family feel. And I'm excited with this new program that I'm starting. Um, I'll, I'll certainly implement some of the things that we did along the way. And. If anyone's listening to this and they run a treatment center, they own a treatment center, even sober living or whatever, to have alumni involved is really important and really smart because it's also like they've had an experience, they get to help others, all that stuff, but they're almost like a little, you know, living ambassador to your program, right? So they're in their hometown talking about their experience, and you'd be surprised, like, you know, how many phone calls I always get, like, my neighbor down the street said her son went there and got, you know, that kind of thing. And so for a bunch of different reasons, it's important to pour energy into your alumni. Um, Because after all, that that, that is the goal, right? The goal is to help people get back to a place where they're healthy and productive and happy and able to have relationships.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that because I, I know it's something that gets brought up, talked about in the movement you know, it, it doesn't, there's usually so much focus on the, the, the people that are there and, and yeah. that need the help or the people that are coming in to help. But I also know, like, I, I do see providers and, and people valuing the, you know, like the alumni or the aftercare type group, but struggling yeah. with really how to like, how do we make this happen? How do we make right. this work? So some of the things that you shared, I think are going to be really helpful for people to just not just for like not just think about it and we'll get back to it but yeah because
2: it's like concrete examples (laughs) yeah yeah another thing that we did I'll just add this too we had um two employees sometimes more but always an alumni a, a male alumni coordinator and a female alumni coordinator and they would do like special stuff like go over to the apartments and the guys would like watch the Super Bowl, girl hot dogs in the courtyard and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the girls would all go to like, you know, paint the pottery night and just whatever they were interested in. But the alumni would continually, you know, have different activities and stuff. And one of the most impressive things, honestly, was like once COVID came, they, they like pivoted so quick and they made it all virtual. So we did like virtual cooking classes by our chef. We did virtual yoga. Um, you know, with Zoom and, you know, alumni meetings and everything, but just to continue to have that, that touch, you know, that's what people really, that's what people really need, especially at the beginning to continue to, you know, progress. Early recovery is not a walk in the park. I mean, it's not it's hard and you're basically like dealing with all the fires that you started you know what i mean like while trying to listen to Uh, your sponsor whatever it's just like everything's real dramatic the first couple years you know what i mean
0: i tell people one of the things i talk about uh, depending on like the audience or the the presentation i'm doing is sometimes you know the, the i love counseling i love therapy it's what i've done you know as a profession and passion for my career. And I can always give that why it's, it's such a, a great thing, but I also know the reality of when someone starts their recovery and, and enters into to treatment and therapy that it is not mm-hmm. all those There's amazing issues. things right away. Like now it's a time to like, you know, open up to some things, be vulnerable, like, yeah, drop down the gardenness as we talked about before yeah. um yeah it's not like all this stuff gets you know it's like those commercials that you hear of how it sounds so nice and and zen like and it sounds amazing but i also know like day one is not the greatest like <laughs> <laughs> and to realize that but but that that's normal right like sometimes for sure someone someone sits down and Hey, this is your first day, and now you're gonna sit in a group and talk to people you've never met, or you're gonna have to deal with your Don't
2: emotions.
0: <laughs> yeah, you to deal with your emotions without right. um, anything to numb, escape, or avoid. I mean, those are those are really challenging, and just to recognize the the spot that someone's in right away is it's not everything's gonna be great and wonderful, and Right. Everyone's going to trust you right away. All those bills are going to go away. Um, That's stuff that we now have to deal with. So it's going to
2: happen, but you got to like, I I heard this um, analogy one time that like addiction is like, you're driving a station wagon and you know, everything that, that comes in your way, you ball it up like a piece of trash and throw it in the back. And then recovery is like that station wagon hits the wall And all that shit and all that trash, like, you know, comes flying back into your lap. And that it's really kind of a perfect analogy, even though it's a little bit depressing or scary. I don't know, but it's true because I wasn't dealing with anything when I was drinking. I mean, I thought I was, but no.
0: Yeah. It's hard to encourage people like, yeah, go to come to therapy where you're going to really dive deep into some trauma, you know, like come to come to counseling where we can you know,
2: it's gonna be fun. Yeah, like it's.
0: <laughs> so I I do realize that that's you know it's it's just not easy you know it's it's not as simple as just not doing a substance or, or not doing a behavior. There's just so much that goes behind all that and and into you know the journey of you know trying to improve quality of life and, and build relationships back up again and and do all those things. So. It's good to have that conversation that, that people know that we see that and we recognize that, that we don't expect people to walk in and be like all smiles. Like they're, they just won something like, (laughs) it's not going to be that exciting.
2: Well, and I'll, you know, I think getting sober is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, Also the best and most rewarding, but you know, I think that. Whether or not you believe in genetics or trauma or causal or not causal, whatever, whatever you believe is, is fine. Um, but I think we can all agree that in some ways, alcohol and drugs were sort of the great um, anesthesia, right, of everything, good, bad, whatever. Um, and when that happens for a long term, at least for me, it kind of became like my solution for life. I didn't want to feel anymore. I didn't want to be sad. I didn't want to look at the problems in my relationship with my ex husband or my kids or my job. And so, you know, it becomes like a companion, a solution. And when it stops working and it becomes removed from your life, then all of a sudden, all those things that were sort of, you know, put on rose colored glasses through, you know, a glass of Chardonnay or whatever all of a sudden it's here and it's ugly and i have no more crutch besides community higher power whatever you know therapist doctor um and and trusted people that you know you surround yourself with to, to try to make this gigantic life change
0: yeah now i know uh we talked a little bit the new program foundation like so where 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 is your journey heading now where are your sights set for yeah um, where are you moving towards
2: so you know I told you that um I sold 80 percent of um my company and I worked for a couple years with sort of the you know private equity people that were investing in it and growing it and stuff like that and I actually learned a lot I learned a lot about how how people that are you know experienced financial planners, whatever you want to say, how they really maximize efficiencies. Um, and, and and what I mean by that is to really utilize what you have within your own company. So when I was thinking about, you know, I worked for them for two years, I took a year off trying to decide what I wanted to do. and I was reading some recovery literature one night and I stumbled across the sentence that said, Helping others is the foundation stone of recovery, basically. And really that just sort of set a light bulb on fire in me. Yes, my last name is Stone and, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, good coincidence as far as marketing. But I really wanted to create this new platform called Foundation Stone that was really dialed in to specific ways to help sort of underserved populations. Um, so I went to some of my good friends and, you know, sort of told them what my idea was and some said, all right, let's do it. And some said, eh, you're crazy. But, um, I don't know if there's ever been like an individually owned and, and, and held private platform, but that's what we built and that's what we're building. So we just opened our first, you know, what you understand what I mean, like foundation stone is sort of the parent company foundation mm-hmm. stone family of programs. And Amend Wellness is the first program that we started here in Austin, and it is a primary mental health program. So what it's going to really dial in on is pretty sophisticated diagnostic work and also um, equal shares to what can be called integrated medicine or functional medicine, which is using sort of, you know, the wisdom of the ages to Help people that are struggling with depression, anxiety, bipolar, personality disorders, learn how to understand their diagnosis, learn things that they can do to manage their diagnosis that aren't necessarily, um, you know, conventional therapy or, you know, psychiatry or prescriptions and stuff like that. Not that anything's wrong with that. We will be doing that, too. But in addition to sort of those Western tried and true models, we're also going to be showing how, you know, Uh, infrared sauna helps to deal with brain inflammation, cold plunges help to restore metabolism that might be sluggish from opiates, or, you know, just different things like that, trauma-informed yoga, um, acupuncture, we bought this yurt, and we're doing, you know, sound bath meditations for people that have a lot of anxiety, so really just a way to Dig deep and really dial in on what the genetic testing and all that, what the actual diagnosis should be, because a lot of times people get, you know, quick and ready diagnosis after they've been in detox for 24 hours. And it's just, you know, a label that skews you for the rest of your life sometimes, which is really sad. So basically like a a four to six week program where we're really dialing in on what an actual diagnosis is, um, what lifestyle choices can be looked at. Um, maybe modified and what we can add into their daily life to give them the confidence to really begin to um, take responsibility for whatever's going on, right? And so that's the first program, totally different than anything else I've ever done, which is what I was talking about. Like, I love to learn. I love to, you know, um, be a student of, of new ways of thinking about things. So that's happening. And then I can't talk yet about the next program that we're opening, but It'll be in the summertime and I will, you text me or email me and I'll, or I'll come back for part two and I'll tell you what's going on there. But I think we're going to end up at about five or six programs. I'm super excited about it. And, um, and also, um, I created this so that the people that work in treatment, um, have an opportunity to have some type of financial security and so I, I created this as like, you know, employee owned company, basically, um, because I think sometimes like teachers, counselors, the the people that really have such a, a major impact on our life and on our world are often undervalued. And I wanted to, you know, in my own little Marcia Stone way, you know what I mean? I'm not, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Eli, what's his name? Eli Musk. Elon Musk, sorry. I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm not a a rich, wealthy woman or anything like that, but I do, um, discovered in recovery. I do have a good business acumen and I just wanted to, to create something so that people could be helped the people that work there as well as the people that came to the program. So that's what it is.
0: Yeah. I'm a big believer in taking care of the people who take care of others it's it's why i've gotten into like clinical supervision and i've looked at you know doing the you know burnout prevention with staff and self-care um Mm -hmm. so anything like that that supports the people helping others is needed and and greatly appreciated so i mean you really as we've talked that with, we started with, you know, what do you do? I do everything um, you, <laughs> just, just by explaining where you're headed and what you're doing. It, it sounds, it sounds like you do try to do as, as much as you can to, to help those and continue with your mission and passion to the people impacted.
2: I try, I really do. I try to help others wherever I can. And, um, I'm not saying that I've, I've never gotten burned. I have, but the times that have happened are just nothing like, you know, like a, a, a thimble compared to like the ocean of, of blessings that, you know, you know how it is too. Like, I really believe that whatever I put out into the world is what I'm going to get back. And, um, and, and I, and I, I will never stop believing that because that is to me, like the most comforting thing because I have control over how I show up for other people. You know, Um, I don't like this idea of like, you know, some sort of arbitrary or punishing higher power. And I, I, I don't, I don't want that in my life. I don't want to any part of that. I want to be a person that, that really, you know, on the outside and the inside is authentic and vulnerable. And this is what I believe, and this is what I'm doing. And if you want to be friends, let's be friends. And if you think I'm a lunatic, that's okay too, you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> I like I've it. been called yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I really want to thank you for, for coming on and talking. I, I think there's some things that we discussed that are going to be really important for people to hear and, and take away with, and also looking forward to all the exciting things that you're going to be doing from here on out. And always to anticipate that. I think I think listeners show it's, be imagining that there's always something down the road on the horizon of of what you're doing so it'll be exciting to see where that goes so once again just just if you ever want to come down
2: to austin and do you know uh, a workshop or whatever with employees and burnout and stuff like that we'd love to have you and um but just don't come in the summertime i don't i don't think that I don't think that you would wish that on anybody.
1: (laughs) Come like October.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. I will be be happy to do that. So this has been really great. And thanks for coming on here and, and talking to our audience members.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. We want to thank Marsha Stone for joining us on this episode of Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. You can learn more about her by visiting her website at marsha-stone.squarespace.com and connect with her on LinkedIn at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Marsha Stone TX. Thank you listeners for joining us and hope you learned something.
1: You've been listening to Talking Addiction and Recovery with Andrew J. Schreier. We're so glad you've joined us and invite you to connect further with the show and these topics at www.andrewjschreier.com. That's Andrew J S C H R E I E R.com. You can also email us directly at talkingaddictionandrecovery and at gmail.com and connect on social media, Instagram at talking addiction and recovery, Facebook, talking addiction and recovery podcast and Twitter at talk AR underscore podcast. To stay connected and never miss an episode, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Until next time, friends, let's keep talking addiction and recovery.